Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Across all of our campuses, and the title of this series is Only God Can Do It, but here's the subtitle, and here's what we're, the real guts of it. We're going to learn to set our course to have a breakthrough year. Now, when I say a breakthrough year, I don't mean that everything's going to go back to normal and everything's going to be super easy. No, break, breakthrough implies there's something that's blocking. There's something that's pushing back. There's something that's limiting. But we're going to learn through what God has already purchased and how the Bible teaches us to live that we don't have to live limited. We don't have to live um, uh, with something kind of pushing on us and pressuring us all the time. We can experience breakthrough. And some of you might think, yeah, honestly, though, Pastor, I don't really need a breakthrough right now. I'm doing pretty good. Listen, everybody needs a breakthrough all the time. Because breakthrough is not just crisis-oriented. It's not just being rescued. Breakthrough is the ability to keep moving forward in your life. And when challenges keep being thrown at you and obstacles are happening in front of you, I don't care if they're on a small, a personal level or a community level or a national level or a global level, they don't have to stop you and I from what God has called us and what God has promised us. But learning to live that kind of overcoming push through it is, a, is, a, is a biblical essential. And so we're setting our course to learn how to live this. And last week, we, we looked at a theme verse that we're just going to kind of carry through the whole thing. It's in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. And it's where Jesus is talking and Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible. There's a lot of discussion about, you know, what does all things mean? Let me just tell you, I've studied it from the top to the bottom, inside out, in, in every language that, you know, that's relevant to the Bible writings. All things means all things. It, it's just as simple as that. You can try to complicate it if you want, but it's all things. Anything that is in your heart is possible to him who believes. Well, last week we said, well, what does that mean to believe? Because Christians don't always understand that. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, there's two parts to believing. Most Christians, I want to say all, but there might be, you know, some that I haven't met. Most Christians, they, man, they nailed that first part. And that is believing that God is God and God can do anything. I, I've not met a Christian yet. I'm not saying they're not out there, but I haven't met a Christian that says, oh, no, I, I just don't think God. That, that one's too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. He's God. And so every Christian kind of passes the first test when it says, if you can believe, well, I believe that God can do anything. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 goes on and says, and I'm paraphrasing, it says, yes, you, you believe he can do anything, but do you believe he will do whatever that thing is for you? And that's where every Christian struggles at some level because that's where the journey, the growth, the maturity, learning to trust God, learning to believe, hey, this Bible's true. It's not a suggestion. When God declares this is already a truth, we have to learn to say, okay, if it's true, then why don't I feel like it's true? Why don't I see other people experiencing the truth? Why do the circumstances tell me different? But we have to come back and say, well, but God says it's true. So even if it looks impossible, God can do the impossible. And because God's promised me, God will do the impossible for me. That's where the journey begins. 
And, and last week we had three, three things, super simple things that everybody can do that will help us. Number one is we, we do have to come back to grips to realize nothing's impossible for God because some people have been dealing with stuff for a long time and they just forgot that God can do the impossible. Or some people are looking around the world and there's so much of this going on, like they think, well, that's just not possible. It, it is with God. And you have to come to grips that God gets to be in this category all by himself. Nobody gets to share that. Nobody gets to challenge that. That's what makes him God. And God can do everything. The second thing that we looked at last week, and we, we had scripture around all this, is realizing that no one is excluded by God from, from, uh, from receiving all the promises. You might say, yeah, well, it's easy for you to say because you're the preacher. And, you know, but for me, no, no. It's totally, totally obvious in the Bible. Nobody's excluded. Anyone from any background, no matter what mess you think you're in, no matter how much time you think you've lost, no matter how crazy and impossible it looks, anybody who will put their trust in God and learn to work the Bible truths, not as an expert, not perfectly, but just learn to engage in and start growing a relationship with God, the Bible says that God will do the impossible in their lives. This is a promise. This is a commitment from God. And the third thing is to realize that every person, every believer, again, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your education, your intellect, you know, your scriptural understanding. Every person can learn to develop their trust or their confidence. Or again, the Bible word is faith in God. Everybody can do this. God's got it set up where you don't have to be super smart. You don't have to be super deep. You don't have to be super spiritual. You can just got saved five minutes ago, or you can, you know, recommit your life or get saved at the end of church today. And you can say, all right, then let's just see if this is real. And you can begin to learn how to develop confidence in God. And when you do, God promises, if you step closer to me, I will run over to you every single time. And so we have to understand this. But the last, the last review part, and this is where we're going to jump off today. The last review part, we also went to Mark chapter 9, and we saw six reasons why Christians struggle to believe God will do the impossible for them. And we got this from one crazy great story in the Bible in Mark chapter 9. I'm not saying these are the only six, but these are like the six top. And here's what they are. Number one, because they tried and failed. So, yeah, I, I, I tried. I prayed about that one time. I had somebody pray for me. I came to the church and, you know, I did the best I could and it didn't work. And so from now on, you know, that, from that point on, they, because they didn't understand why it didn't work and they didn't lean into it, they just said, yeah, I tried to believe God and, and he just wouldn't do it for me. Here's number two, because the circumstances just seem so big and overwhelming, they just can't get their head wrapped around not God can, but why would God do that for me? They're surrounded by other people that God's not doing it for them. People they think is more spiritual than them, then why would God do it for me? And this becomes a struggle. Here's another reason I just mentioned it already, but it's a longstanding challenge has just erased hope. Maybe at one point you thought, okay, you know, God's going to do this, but it's been a long time and he still hasn't done it. And you start feeling like, well, Maybe it's just not in the cards for me. Maybe he's got his reasons. Maybe he's trying to teach me something, whatever it is. But you, you kind of lose, uh, lose sight of that. Here, here's the fourth reason. You lose faith in your faith. You think you have to be this super faith giant. You can never have a thought that, you know, is doubtful or questioning or, or is challenging you. And you think, no, see, I don't have enough faith when the Bible says a mustard seed. 
tiny little, I mean, just something you can almost not see in your hand, especially when you're 59 years old like me. You're like, well, is it there? Where is it somewhere? If you just have a tiny little inkling, listen, I, I think that it's possible that God will do something for me, if for no other reason, because he said it right there in my Bible. And if you just believe that, the Bible says that's all it takes, and you can literally move giant mountains out of your life and watch God do the impossible. Here's another, another big reason, and this is more of what we feel and experience. Oftentimes, and we'll see this today, oftentimes when you take a step towards what God's promising, problems get worse before they get better. We're going to look at that one today because that's very intentional, by the way. Not for, it's not from God, but it's very intentional as to why almost always... Something gets worse before it gets better. But if you don't understand that and you're asking the Lord to do something great and all of a sudden it gets really worse, you're like, see what I mean? You see what I'm saying? Every time I trust God, it just, everything falls apart and you don't realize, no, there's a strategy here. It's supposed to look like that. And the fact that thing got worse could be, probably is an indication that you did step into confidence with God and you're being met with a challenge to talk you out of it. Here's the last one, and then we're going to jump right into today. Uh, the last one is that there's a lot of people that are just not well, willing to pay the price. And, and I don't mean, you know, you, you, I don't mean some arduous task. God said he meets you right where you're at. But some Christians just don't want to go through that endurance part. They just don't want to have to grow. What they really want is to say a simple prayer and have a great, wonderful, warm feeling. And then God does everything for them because he's God. <clears throat> but listen, if you're a good parent, you don't do that for your kids. You measure the challenge. You measure the process to make sure that they're at the right age and stage to be able to handle it. But you want to teach them how to grow. You want to teach them how to work, how to be responsible, because that helps them to grow up and face bigger challenges and get bigger rewards. And we'll see that the Bible does the same thing. All right. So all of that, today we're going to, we're going to talk, the title of today or that will focus us is we're going to talk about the first of five biblical steps. And, and these are not difficult. They're super easy. Like if I were to ask, you know, some of you who like to bake, you know, what's that recipe? Well, here's the first couple steps. You got you to understand. You got to turn the oven on, let it preheat. Got to make sure you have all your ingredients so you don't forget one. Oh, I got to go to the store. And you, so this is just five essential steps everybody can do. They're universal in the Bible. But once you understand these steps, here's why it's so important. Once you understand these steps, they're super simple then I don't care what you face at any time in your life, in any particular circumstance, any challenge, you can walk through these five simple steps. You can commit them to memory. They're, they're not like, and they're not real complicated, but you can walk through these five simple steps and you will recalibrate yourself to know where am I at in believing that God really will do this, that Christianity is not just a religion. It's not just something we do because it's Sunday and we feel better about ourselves. This stuff works. And it works for everybody all the time who are working it. So five steps. And once you understand these five steps, I don't care how impossible your situation looks. I don't care if you've got multiple impossible things. If you'll understand these five steps, listen to me. I promise you based on the word of God and my personal experience, God will meet you there every single time. And God will do the impossible for you. That's what he's committed to. And that's what he's still faithful to be able to accomplish. So today we're going to look at step number one. And step number one has to do with remembering 
those things that God said. In fact, the title of today is Remembering Your God-Given Vision. And let me tell you what what that means, okay? If, If you're a believer, there are times in our life for every believer... God, God meets everybody where God will, will give you a vision. And what I mean as a vision is God will give you a picture or a little spark inside of what he wants to do in a particular area in your life. And, and when that thing happens, then you know it. Some, something jumped inside and you got a little bit of hope. You got a little bit of faith with that. But, but God's speaking to everybody differently and individually all based on the, the universal things he's promised here. So for example, maybe when you first got saved, all of a sudden, man, you just realized that God forgave all of your sins and you finally, for once in your life, felt clean. You felt like you got a fresh start. No more shame, no more guilt. I mean, things are square with me and God. And the expectation was, from this point on, it's going to be different. And I'm going to walk in blessing. And I'm not going to get caught up in all that bad stuff again and be pulled back into that. Or, or maybe you're, you're believing God for financial increase. Maybe you've got, you know, debt or you've got, you, you don't have enough coming in. And you're believing God for financial increase. And, and, and so you begin to, to recognize God wants me. And you even jump out there in faith and you start saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to figure out how to tithe because I want to be honoring to the Lord. And, and I'm going to start saying, okay, I'm going to be as generous as I can, but I'm not, even, I'm not even squaring up, you know, every paycheck. I'm struggling here. But the expectation is, if you'll do what God says, then God will do what he said, and God will begin to increase and bring resources to you. Uh, maybe you're someone who needs healing. Maybe just right now in this whole coronavirus thing's kind of freaking you out because, you know, you feel like it's everywhere and you don't know what to do. Maybe it's health or healing. And, and you start looking and you recognize, the boy, the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, not only did he take all of the sin, but the Bible says he took all of the unhealthy stuff. All of the pain, all the suffering, all the sickness. He carried that to the cross and he paid for it. And by the way, doesn't the Bible say, and I hear a lot of Christians say, Jesus is the great physician, the great doctor, and you begin to realize that. So you say, okay, then I'm going to start setting my expectation that God will supernaturally heal and restore and re-energize my body, even if he has to fix some major stuff so that I can live my life healthy. Well, the list just goes on and on. Maybe you're believing God, you know, personal wellness, mental, emotional, marriage, uh, parental things. You're believing God for your kids. And the list just, is, you know, it's, it's never ending. But, but here's the point. As soon as you take a step, as soon as something jumps in your heart, you're like, okay, not only God can do it, but man, I, I just caught something just now. Maybe I was listening to a message. Maybe it was a podcast. Maybe we're just in a worship service. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this thing just jumped up in my heart. And I realized, I, God, God will do that for me. God wants that for me. But listen, the, the challenge is, the moment that that happens, you, you take your first step on this journey. And the journey is to be able to experience what God gave you a picture of in your heart. And I'm going to tell you what happens on that journey is you walk out of whatever that wonderful moment is and you're back back in real life. And you're encountering all your challenges. You're encountering the mundane activities of the day. You're encountering all the schedules and the conversations and the pressures and the phone calls and the news headlines. And, and if you're not careful, it's really fast that life starts getting cluttered. 
And then the challenges start growing bigger and they're harder than you think. And pretty soon you're, you're feeling distracted because you're just trying to control your emotions and manage a situation. And then distraction goes to discouragement. And over time, your own mind begins to talk you out of what God really said to you. Well, yeah, I know I felt that, but it was probably just the music, right? Because it was a great Sunday and great worship. And, or you just tuck it into some religious category of, well, if God wants to, then he can pull that off. But discouragement starts to set in, and then you begin to distance yourself. And pretty soon, you're once again just realizing, you know what? We just live in a real world. It's really bad. It's coming apart. It's the last days after all, and all this stuff starts happening. And if you're not careful, you settle into, listen, mediocrity. You don't think breakthrough anymore. You're just thinking survival. You're just thinking, how can I just make it another day? How can I kind of stay a little happy? You know, I don't know about the joy of the Lord, but I can stay a little happy here and just kind of make sure my attitude's really good. And, and if you're not careful, an attitude of defeat, I don't mean like you're laying down and you're just giving up everything, but you're no longer believing that God wants you to experience the impossible. That just becomes normal. And it becomes normal for a lot of Christians. And they start talking, yeah, but one day when we get to heaven, which is true, but we're supposed to be living in overcoming victory right now. And then when we get to heaven, it just goes to a level that we can't even imagine. But listen, the Bible teaches when those kinds of things happen, you have to understand what's going on. And you do not surrender at no point. You never surrender to that. Instead, you have to come back to the first thing and say, well, let me come back to the beginning and let me remember what it is that God promised me. What is it that God not only can do, but what did he whisper to me that he wants to do? And what did the Bible say about that? So open to two passages today. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, because it's exactly what, what the writer of Hebrews was talking to this particular group about. Um, uh, and so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, and then you'll know we're right at the end when I'm going to ask you to turn to one more verse, and it's Proverbs chapter 28, verse 19. We're going to look at one more verse, and we'll finish up. Hebrews chapter 10. So the author of Hebrew is writing to the Jerusalem, to the, to the Jews who had accepted Christ in Jerusalem, and they accepted Christ with just this excitement. Jesus is real. He was the Messiah. He died. He really rose again. I can be forgiven. And they expected Jesus to come back soon. Like, as in, you know, you, you got to get saved now because, you know, you might not make it to the end of the week. But here we are years later, and these people went through some challenging stuff. Not only was the world struggling at that point, but they were, they were being persecuted uh, personally, and they lost some great stuff, and it cost them a whole bunch just to accept Jesus. But at first, it's like, that's okay, it's worth it, because he's going to come back, you know, in, in just a minute here, or, or he's going to come through, and he's going to do something crazy, miraculous, and wonderful for me, and so I'll lay it all on the line, because I know it's going to happen, and so, but, but, but it's been going for a while, and now these particular people, they're starting to, they're starting to get tired, and they're starting to surrender to hope, and there's even some of them are even starting to wonder, did I believe the wrong thing? Maybe Jesus is not who he says he is, because I don't see this working as quickly and as intently as I thought it would. So we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, but listen to how it ties into what we're studying this morning. He says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. So 
I first want to look at that word illuminated because you're going to recognize it. The Greek word is photizo. And the reason I want you to hear that because you're going to recognize it's where we get the word photograph. And it's talking about that action, not the final print, but it's talking about the actual, when the actual photograph was taken, when that click of the camera happened and there was a flash of light that happened and an imprint was left on the film that leaves a lasting impression that you can, you can actually look at it. And so when, when we talk about this particular word, it's talking about something that not only let, left a picture there, but this picture is so clear and so vivid that you can be miles away, you can be, you know, weeks or months away, and can look back at that picture and you say, yeah, but I remember when I was standing right there. I remember when that happened. And so he said, do you remember the time when God flashed a picture in your heart? And it made an impression on you, and you suddenly thought, you know what? I don't have to live like this. God wants me to do to be different. God wants me to over, He wants me to have a great life and a great marriage and you know have enough finances to do what I need to do and, and not be walking around afraid all the time of what's going to happen. God doesn't want me to live. And there was a picture that flashed in your heart, and you might be days, weeks, months later, but you can still remember what that was like and what that felt like. But and notice this, he said. But you need to recall that. And the word recall is this compound word. uh, But the reason we have to look at it, because it's a very old word that literally describes a grave or a tomb, or it describes a place where something's been buried and covered up. And what Paul's trying to tell us is there's times when God speaks and he makes this permanent picture. However, as exciting and as exhilarating as that is, as much as you can close your mind and, or close your eyes and remember what it felt like and, and how excited you were, life begins to happen. And if you're not careful, those things are challenged and they can become buried over. And he says here, you know what you need to do when, when you get to the point where you're recognizing you're drifting and now you're just accepting mediocrity and defeat. Well, maybe God doesn't want to do it for me. He says, no, nope, you need to go back to wherever that was buried and you need to dig that back out. You need to dust it off really good and you need to get it back in front of you and remember what did God say to you in that moment because God doesn't mince words. In fact, I'm going to go back and read verse 32 again, but we're going to shift translations, and I want you to hear a couple of different things. We're in the New Living Translation now. This is what it says. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Now listen, he doesn't say about Jesus. He says about Christ. The word Christ is actually a title. It means the anointed one. When you first learned that Jesus was actually the anointed one who had the power of heaven and earth, Think back when you first learned what that would mean to be in a relationship with the one who had enough power and enough resource to change everything. And that's exactly what they did. He said, think back in those early days when you made decisions. He said, think about that. And notice this. He said, remember how you remain faithful, even though it meant terrible sufferings. And this this particular phrase, terrible sufferings, actually is pointing to these incredible, intense, mental, emotional, physical anguishes that they were going through. In fact, uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to describe some of it, not all of it. But for some of these guys, the moment that they recognized that Jesus was who he says, and that he wasn't just a religious thing, but he literally would change their life. When they recognized that, and they went all in. 
and they made him the Lord of their life, the Bible says immediately something happened and they went into the struggle. In fact, listen to how he describes where in the next verse, verse 13, he said, sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule. Again, not everybody's going to think that's a great decision. They're going to think, oh, you just become a fanatic. You're a nut. Oh, here we go again. You're going to get all religious on me. And, but, but he said, you, that's part of, just part of it. They're going to persecute you. But he said, and not only that, some, some of the ridicule went beyond words. And he said, you were actually beaten. Now, that doesn't happen too much in the United States, praise the Lord. But in other countries around the world, physical punishment being jailed and beaten and even losing your life has actually increased more today around the world than it was in the, back in the New Testament. And the New Testament, it was like pretty front and center. And so he said, and you actually were beaten, so you were beat up. And he said, he went on, sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same thing. Well, this New Living Translation doesn't do that justice. It means sometimes you actually climbed into somebody else's situation that was suffering those things, and it cost you. Where the easier thing would have been to say, "Uh, man, I'm sure glad that's not happening to me. But instead, you leaned in to support them and to stand by them, encourage them. And even though you weren't the initial target, you got punished as well. He goes on and he says, uh, where are we at? Oh, uh, verse 34. He said, you suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. So that's a little bit of a different thing because when people were thrown in jail, unlike today's prison system, uh, they weren't fed, they weren't taken care of, and they relied on other people who knew them, who would bring them food and bring them things, you know, clothes and things because none of that was provided. Well, but the problem was if you did that, then you were now identified with a criminal. And your reputation was soiled, and that will affect you in your job, in your market, you know, in, your rep- in the community. People won't talk to you anymore because they don't want to be associated with a criminal because then that repercussion comes on them. And so he says, but you did it anyway. You suffered along, right along with them. And notice this, and when all you owned was taken away from you, you accepted it with joy. Actually, what other translations point out more accurately is, When everything that you had was taken away because you put your faith in God, it's not that you accepted it like, oh, well, you know, but I'm a Christian. It's okay. That's horrible. That's horrible. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants that. Nobody's going to celebrate everything happening. But he said, but you maintained your joy in the Lord in spite of that injustice, in spite of that hardship. You didn't start whining and crying. Look at what God's doing to me. You said, no, no, no. Listen, I know why this is happening. It's because I'm serving the Lord. And rather than giving up, you, you allowed the strength of God to come and you leaned in and said, but God's going to fix this for me. God's going to lean in. And here's, well, here's why. He said, because you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So here's what I want you to see. Every time that God begins to speak something to you, some, we often think, okay, well, then that's automatic. God just spoke this to me, and he's going to do a miracle. And boy, I can't wait. If it doesn't happen by the end of the day, tomorrow morning for sure. But instead, what happens is things get worse. And the pressure and everything begins to intensify. And that's exactly what the Bible says. I'll tell you why, why it's happening. It's a strategy Because it's trying to tear up that picture that was put in your heart. It's trying to erase the moment 
the faith, the hope that, are, that, are, that rose in you and get you to be distracted and discouraged so that you yourself will throw away, toss that photo aside and say, yeah, I wish God would do that, but that's not going to happen for me. And you'll toss it aside and never remember it, never pick it up again. So you won't develop this. And that's very intentional. In fact, some of you say, oh, are you sure? Let me bring you to Mark chapter 4. Jesus was very sure about it. In fact, listen to how he starts this. He, he's just told a parable to a large group of people. So he's telling stories to see who's going to lean in, who's going to ask questions. And fortunately for us, the disciples were one of the first ones that asked questions. So after the crowd kind of, you know, we're taking a break or whatever, the disciples pulled Jesus aside and said, hey, what is that all about? What does that story mean? And listen to how, what Jesus said to them in verse 13, Mark chapter 4. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, that's the disciples, do you not understand this parable? And the word understands, there's a Greek word, Ido, and it literally means, are, are you not making the connections? <clears throat> are you not listening? Are you just listening to a story? Or are you understanding the truths inside the story? Are you leaning in to, pursue, to, to perceive and to discern? Yeah, but what's your, I, I, see what you, I see what you're saying. I see the truth. He said, are you doing that? And, and listen, this is the reason why he said, are, are you really not catching the truth here? He said, how then will you understand all the parables? Oh, so Jesus is saying, if you don't understand the truths in this parable, then every other story I tell, you're not going to understand that either. You're going to have a skewed model. And listen to me, there's lots of Christians who do not understand this parable and who will have kind of these half versions, these shallow understandings of all the other parables. And this is why, because you don't understand this parable. And then Jesus explains the parable to them. Listen to verse 14. First thing he said is, the sower sows the word. And let me just paraphrase for you so we can catch it quickly this morning. Jesus is telling them, listen, the whole kingdom of God works like a farm. Not a landscaping company, not Amazon Prime, you know, where you get free delivery in a couple of days. And the whole kingdom of God works like a farm. You have to understand how we grow and how we develop miracles, the impossibility. Now, God's given us everything we need. We have the Word of God, which is the seed that we can plant. We, we have the, the Holy Spirit who's helping us to get our hearts soft enough so we can get the Word of God planted in our heart. And then we've got the promise that He'll keep nurturing and help us to grow that until at some point this thing blossoms and it comes from the inside to the outside. God will literally, measurably, like you can put your hands on it, do everything that he promised in every area. But you have to understand first, before you can eat that blessing, you have to get a seed in the ground. And most Christians don't understand the whole kingdom works like a farm. They think it just works like a quick grocery delivery or a landscaping company. And you know what? I just need a tree right there. And bam, the next morning, some big truck's pulling up with a full-grown tree. And they're digging a big hole and they're planting it. Listen, that's not how God works in our life. I'm not saying there aren't these exceptions because of the mercy of God. And from time to time, he'll do a miracle. And somebody will just go from zero all the way over, you know, to, to, to being fully developed because of the mercy of God. But that's every once in a while when God chooses that's not the norm. The norm is for us to be able to learn how do we work this. But I want you to notice, he says, and these are the ones that are sown. So this is the word of God that was sown by the wayside where the word is sown. Now listen to this. When they hear it, Satan comes immediately. 
I can promise you what church service you're sitting in, just reading your Bible, listening to a podcast. In fact, God speaks to me often when I'm not even around spiritual environments. I'll just, I'll just, you know, see something and all of a sudden, man, I, I can catch something from the Lord and it's not because I'm super spiritual. I wasn't trying to be spiritual. He's just really good that way. He'll talk to you whenever he, whenever he can get your attention. And so listen, it says whenever that little sought, that little seed, that picture, that photo, it happens, the Bible says Satan comes immediately. Well, why would he come, listen, to take the word that was sown out of your heart? He comes to get that picture because if you start staring at that picture, if you start thinking about, you know, I know, I know what, what God said to me right there. And I, man, I could feel the faith and the confidence. And you go back to the Bible and you say, that's exactly what he said there and there and there and there. If you start developing that thing, he'll never get it out of your heart. So he comes immediately, like before you even leave the environment, he's already giving you excuses why, yeah, okay, that's what God wants to do, but that's not going to happen for you because, and he starts listening to all this stuff, but listen, he comes immediately to take the word that was sown out of their heart. Now, we don't have time to go through the rest of the passage, but let me just kind of outline the rest of his discussion with the disciples. In the next couple of verses, verse 16 and 17, he says, if he can't get the word out of your heart, if he can't talk you out of it, you're like, no, no, I'm going to hang on to it. Then he brings tribulations and testings and pressure and intense heat and persecution. He just starts throwing everything at you to make the problem worse, to make it harder, to make it more and more intimidating and more intentional. And all of that is to say, if if I couldn't get it the first time, then I'm trying to get you to tear it up and throw it away yourself because life is just, it's too crazy. And and a lot, lots of people, it still doesn't work. They hang on to this thing, say, nope, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm going to believe that that God's telling me the truth. And if that doesn't work, then he adjusts and he said, okay, well, I'm not going to get that picture out of him. So now I'm going to distort it. Now I'm going to try to make the picture blurry. And the Bible says he'll come choke the word or choke, blur the picture. And he does it through three ways. Number one, through worry. And you'll start, well, maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe, maybe I'm doing the wrong things. Or, or, or maybe if the blessing does come, maybe that's going to affect me bad. And, so, and if that's, you start just worrying about all kind of stuff. Or if he can't get you to worry, then he'll deceive you. He'll get you where all of a sudden it looks like it's getting a little better and you think, okay, I got this. I got this. And you stop leaning into your relationship with God because you're deceived. You think, well, God helped me get jump started, but I got this from here. You don't got it. None of us have it. Or not only that, look at this. If it develops too fully and you start experiencing the blessing, then he'll just start adding, hey, now you got a little more money. You know what else you could do? And the lust or the desire, the unbridled passion to do other things all of a sudden take over. I can't tell you how many people in 35 years of pastoring that I've met who came, they were destitute, they learned to believe God, God began to bless and prosper them, and they got to the point where they got to buy so many toys that they don't have time to come to church anymore. Well, why have a boat if I can't get out on the lake every Sunday? That's a good question. Then why have a boat? Not not why come to church, why have a boat if it's going to pull you away from doing what the one, doing, doing, honoring the person who gave you the boat in the first place. It doesn't make any sense. But this is the enemy's, this, this is the enemy's strategy and he's really good at it. And listen, but if you'll keep hanging on and stay focused, verse 20 says, but if you will hold on to the word and you'll let it grow and you'll keep learning to work the process, listen to me, at some point, I'm going to use very intentional language, you will harvest the impossible. 
You will grow and you will harvest what God promised to give you the blessing. This is exactly what God's trying to do. And that's what Hebrews chapter 10 is trying to tell them. Remember the time that God said he wanted to do something wonderful for you? Yeah, and then Christ got crazy and all of a sudden you got talked out of it. Now you're even wondering if all this was worth it. He said, yeah, go back and dig that back out again. And pull it up in front of you, dust it off so it's not all blurry, and let the main thing be the main thing, and align your expectation to realize, no, the same God who promised me that is still promising me that. Now, just to make sure we're on the right track, let's be back in Hebrews chapter 10, and let's read a few more verses, because, you know, to grab a couple of verses and and build a whole belief out of it, that's a little dangerous, but watch, he keeps going. We're in verse 35 now. He says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence. Don't throw it away. Don't get discouraged. Don't get distracted. Don't say, well, I know that God can, and I know he does it for some people, but obviously he's not going to do it for me because I, you know, I, I don't have enough faith, or, or my life's not perfect enough, or, or I'm still struggling with this area or that area. None of those things are, 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 are true and appropriate. He says, do not cast away your confidence. Listen, if God gave you the picture, it's because God wanted to do it for you. God wouldn't say, hey, you know what I'd like to do in your life? He wouldn't show you a picture when you'll never qualify for that picture. He wouldn't do that. The fact that he showed you a picture, you've caught something, means that God's already looked through all of your life and said, nope, yeah, I I can do it for you if you stay with me. He said, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. I want to look at that word endurance too, because that's another misunderstanding that we have. Even if we get that God will speak to us and immediately Satan's going to come and it could get worse before it gets better and it could take longer than we think and other people you know, could make fun of you and ah, you're just being religious, you're just being a fanatic. And even if we understand all that, a lot of Christians then go into this, we're just going to hang on mode. But we just have to outlast it. So we're standing out in the pouring rain without an umbrella. But if we could just stand here and just not catch a cold until it stops raining, that's not what the word endurance means. The word endurance means it does mean to stay under pressure or to stay in, in, your, in, in a place that you've been asked to stay. So it's this Greek word, hupomeno, and it does mean power or the willingness to stay in the same place and not to shift and move around. But it also comes from a military term. And the military term is when soldiers were ordered, hey, listen, we're going to take that ground. And then once we take it, I'm going to leave a battalion of you here while I move to the next hill and take the next hill. And whatever you do, do not give up that ground. I don't care how fierce the fight is. I don't care if it looks like you're going to lose your life. Your job, your responsibility, your duty is to guard that hill and don't give it up for anything. That's what the word hupomeno means. And in fact, it became one of the most revered words in the New Testament because when the New Testament church was birthed as wonderful and as explosive and as exciting as it was to be part of God moving quickly and doing something that you know, nobody had ever seen on the earth before, it was punishing. And there was persecutions that were happening. And they were, they were being asked to step out and make decisions for Christ, believing that God would do what he said, but if necessary, be will, being willing to stand like a soldier and say, I'm not going to back off of this. God promised me that this is what he would do, and I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how impossible it looks. I don't care how long it takes. I'm not going to move. I'm going to stay right here until God does what he said he would do. That's that word endurance. So it's not just surviving. 
It's surviving or it's, I'm, I'm sorry, it's staying there, renewing your passion, renewing your confidence, renewing your faith. In fact, Romans chapter 6 says that Abraham waited 25 years for his promised son Isaac to come. But the older he got, the more, even though the more impossible it looked, and he looked over at his wife, Sarah, who was never able to have children, and now she's 25 years older than she was before. It's not like that's an encouraging sign. And yet somehow, even though everything on the outside just looked more and more and more and more impossible, listen, the Bible says Abraham grew in faith. How do you do that? Because he kept coming back and saying, but here's what I know about God. God takes things that are impossible and he makes them possible. God takes things where it doesn't look like there's no way. And God says, yeah, but watch this. And God pulls something out of nowhere and creates something that could have never existed before. And so the more impossible it looked, then the more Abraham was forced to look to God. And it said he actually grew stronger in his faith to the point that when he, when he was right there, just before Sarah found out she was pregnant, Abraham's excited saying, I'm telling you, man, any day. Any day, any day this is going to happen because you grew strong in faith. And that's what the word endurance means. Let's keep reading. Look at we're in verse 38 now. It says, now the just shall live by faith. In other words, the just should live their whole life like this. We, we should be believing God and stretching our faith and holding on to that picture that God gave us in multiple areas. Our whole life looks like this, but notice this. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back, he used that phrase twice, uh, to perdition, but we're of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The word draw, draws back is a, it's two words, but it's a one word in the Greek, it's hupostello. And, and this word's very important too, because it literally gives a picture of someone who started on a journey. They were so excited, they packed all their clothes, they packed the car, they told all their friends, hey, listen, we're going on a trip, should be gone about a week or so, and, and, and off they go, right? GPS is set, and here they go. And something happened along the way. And it caused, it just really twisted them and it caused them to reconsider the destination. It caused them to say, well, you know, that'd be nice, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to take us longer than a week. We didn't know that. And, and then, the, you know, the GPS is not even tracking with the actual place. These roads don't exist anymore. And, and, and all these reasons why, but it's caused them to reconsider. In fact, not just to reconsider, but to revert backwards, to turn the car around and start going the opposite direction. And he said, listen to me, I don't care how tough it gets. I don't care how challenging things get. I don't care if the whole world looks like it's focused on making what you're believing God for more and more impossible by the day. He said, Christians, we're not those people. We don't ever turn the car around. If God said it's possible, then we say, okay. In fact, if God put that picture in our heart, if he said it in the word, that's our first line. If he put a picture in our heart, then it's really okay. And we're not ever going to give up to the point that Jesus, Jesus told a parable one time and he was talking about this widow woman who kept coming to the judge and begging him, if you just make the right decision, man, life could be great for me. And that's your job. You're supposed to be doing it. But the Bible says he wasn't a great judge and he didn't care about her. And he kept saying, I get out of my office, get out of my office. But she kept coming. And yet because she kept coming, finally, this judge who didn't care about God or anybody else said, fine, just stop bugging me. And, th and that's the parable, right? And so some Christians say, and that's how we have to be to God. Just keep bugging him and bugging him. No, Jesus, if you read the parable, Jesus said, okay, you see the judge? That's not how God is. God's quick to listen every time. But you see the widow? That's how we should be. 
constantly pursuing, constantly pursuing. But, but listen, the biggest punchline comes at the end, and most people stop reading. Jesus said, but nevertheless, regardless of which one of those scenarios you're encountering, nevertheless, here's the big question. When Jesus comes back, will he find you in faith? When Jesus comes back, whether it ever happens or not, which he promised it would, but whether it ever happens or not, the big question is, will he find you holding that ground and saying, I'm not giving up. This is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus promised me. I will never, ever, ever surrender to mediocrity. I will never surrender to defeat. I will never let the words, well, I guess that's just good enough. I'll never let that come out of my mouth. Because if God promised me something different, I'll keep leaning in and leaning in and leaning in. I'll unbury that picture a hundred times. I'll dust it off. I'll stare at it again. I'll ask the Holy Spirit, bring me back to that moment and ignite my heart and my faith again. I'll go through the Word of God and start stacking Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture where God promised He would do what He was supposed to do because that's what Jesus is looking for all the time, but especially when He comes back. Which means in the last days, we don't get a free pass. Well, you know, things are really crazy and hard in the last days. It's hard for us to move forward. Are you kidding me? In the last days, we should be moving forward faster and more intentional than ever before. Because this is, this is what God's asked us to do. So here's what we, we summarized already. We found out that God's always given you a picture. You say, I don't remember a picture. Well, then just ask the Lord, Lord, if you need to give me a new one, give me a new one. But if not, remember, remind me of the ones that you've already given me. Go back to that picture. And listen, when you do, remember Satan's going to try to get it away from you. If he can't, he'll try to bury it. But we have to dig it up over and over and over. We have to stand in faith and refuse to back down. Because if we'll do that, then God will do what he promised he would do. Now listen, that's the first step in every scenario in a God-given vision. And some people, a lot of Christians just miss that step. They don't come back and replant or rediscover what did God promise here. They start scrambling. Well, well, I guess we can adjust this. And I guess if I just don't do that, I'm not even going to try that anymore. And they try to patch, you know, kind of quilt work, their, their, their Christian experience together that they, we can live happy anyway. That's not what the Lord promised. He says, first thing to do is come back. All right, I'll give you three quick points why this, this vision, this picture from God is so important. They all come from the same verse, so it won't take me very long. Three points why this is, this is crucial for you to do. Because when you can recapture this vision, there's three things that begin to happen in your life, in your everyday life, that will all line up. Here's the first one. Because vision will renew your hope. Every time. When you stare at that picture, you'll remember again. You know, you may be frustrated with somebody, but at one, one time you really fell in love with them. And if you go back and you look at a snapshot when you were dating or a snapshot of your honeymoon, if you'll let yourself, all of a sudden you realize, yep, I remember. Where's that guy? Where's that girl? That's who I fell in love with. And it'll renew all of that, that, that you know, that, the, the hope and the confidence that was once there. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. It says, where there is no vision... The people perish. Now I have to tell you, we're in the Hebrew now, we're in the Old Testament, but the word vision there is a Hebrew word, hazan, and it's important you know this because the first thing it means, it literally means to see. So it's talking about that picture, that snapshot that we saw in Hebrews 10. But here's why else you need to know, because the word hazan in the Hebrew is from the root word where we get the word provision. And that means that if you catch a snapshot, if you can get a vision of what God wants to do, and you'll hang on to that, then listen, 
everything that you need to get that vision, everything that, that God is willing to provide, that'll begin to flow to you. Because you're on the right target, you're on the right destination, and you'll begin to realize, well, not only did God say he wants to do this, but God said that I, I could have, that he would give me the strength, that he would give me the wisdom, that he would give me the discipline, that he would give me opportunity, that he would give me favor, that he would make sure that, you know, line things up and, and make sure nobody's stealing from me. And he'll, he'll do all those things. So provision is connected to and always follows vision. And this is a biblical principle. And listen, that will begin to renew your hope because even though you don't see the vision happen, when you begin to experience God's provision, that's encouraging. That means, see, look, the Lord's doing this. One step at a time, he's going to put this together. Here's number two, because vision strengthens discipline. Let me read you the same verse in a different translation. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. In fact, let me read you in a few other, just that little part. In the Amplified Bible, it says people are unrestrained. Where there is no vision, the, the, uh, the, Christian, uh, the Christian Standard Bible says, where there is no vision, people run wild. The, Christian, uh, the Contemporary English Bible says, where there is no vision, people just get out of control. And let me read you one more, Proverbs 29, 18, in the uh, Contemporary English again. It says, without guidance from God, law and order disappears. You want to know what's going on in our country? Our country has no vision. Our, we don't know who we are, right? We got a couple of different political parties. One, one, one thinks we're this, the other thinks we're that. We got people in the middle. We don't know who we are. And because there's no vision, everybody's just doing whatever they, they want to do. There's no more civility. Listen, this is not just for your individual. Look at what's going on in your marriage. If you're not on the same page with your spouse, then you're just going to do the best you can to do what you think is right. But you got two different visions going on that never works. Think about how, you know, bring, bring, bring the kids in, bring the family in. Think about organizations. If you work in a business or you own a business, think about a community. Think about a nation. Think about the world. All, the, all this comes back to if you don't have vision, then you will not have the discipline to do what you need to do because you don't know what you need to do. Here's the last one, and this is where we finish. Vision will always direct your action. Vision will always direct your action. In fact, the RIV version of Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people have no sense of direction. It's like getting up in the morning saying, what are we going to do today? I don't know. What are we going to accomplish? I don't know. Let's, let's just do something. Do what? what? What are you going to do? I don't know. Come on. Let's just get busy. We're wasting the day away. Let's just do something. Well, if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, then you won't know what you're supposed to be doing. And that's true in the spiritual things as well. Uh, Zig Ziglar, who used to be a Christian motivational speaker, this was before most of you were born. Some of you recognize his name. If you don't, don't worry about it. But, but he coined a great phrase that I remember him saying. He says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And, and that's really true, right? But it's true in our Christian life. If you're not believing God for anything, that's what you're going to get. If you're not pursuing a picture, then just don't be shocked or depressed or discouraged when nothing's happening. I mean, God will meet you every day. He's a great father, so he'll, you know, he'll make sure you have food and, and clothes. He'll keep you alive, and you know, he'll, he'll be there if you want to talk to him. But you're not going to experience the God of the impossible if you're not latching onto a picture and you're not moving forward. Let me finish right here real quickly. Uh, we have these available for everyone. <clears throat> and there's two different, two different parts of this. One is, I want you to understand, we're, we're, we're digging this out to kind of go with the illustration 
and we're dusting it off. And I want you to understand you're part of a church that has a vision. We've been tracking this for quite some time. And we know exactly what the Lord has called us to do. And boy, we have encountered obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. One of the biggest ones right now happens to be COVID. It's trying to get volunteers and get a, you know, a rhythm and get a work going. Who's going to be where? And even being able to let people come to church. All of that stuff just been crazy for two years now. And we're just settling in and say, you know what? We're just going to tap into another level of victory and faith. We're believing God and praying for our health of our congregation more than we ever have. We've always been. We're going to double up on that. But I I want you to just take some time when you get a chance over a cup of coffee or something and just glance through the vision. And here's why. Because if you're part of the church, you're part of this. You can come here for a while and you can experience and and reap the benefits of it. And you, you should do that all the time. But at some point, God will begin to give you a picture to say, hey, here's where you fit. And we're not saying that just to get more people involved. We're saying that because it takes the whole body working in order for us to accomplish what God has for us. Think about your own physical body. If one of your parts or more of your parts stop working or stop working as efficiently as they should, then you're limited. Some people are physically uh, limited in big areas. They become actually handicapped. And I don't mean to throw that around lightly, But the same is is in the body of Christ. Here we are, we're trying to chase a vision that requires us to be healthy and requires us to move forward. But at times we have arms missing, we have legs missing, we have, you know, internal organs that are just not there, not not functioning. And we're we're gonna love everybody, we're not gonna put pressure on anybody. But I just want you to read through this and let the Lord speak to you because listen, you're part of this. And as you begin to engage in God's work, then God leans over and says, you make my kingdom great. Watch what I'll do to your kingdom. You can never outgive God. Never, never outwork God. God will do for you. Here's the last thing. Uh, Russ mentioned that we're tomorrow, we're going to start a 21 days fasting and prayer. Uh, let me tell you what this is and what it's not, okay? Because some people are successful, some are not. Um, 21 days of fasting and prayer is not the way that we somehow twist God's arm. Well, if we just, you know, don't eat or we stop doing fun stuff for a while, then God will know, okay, you're really serious. It's not a way that we we somehow prove we're more spiritual. We we don't get any brownie points in heaven for doing fast. It's never about that. It's always about eliminating distractions in our life and about an opportunity to tell this fleshly part of you, no. It hates to hear that. I don't care what it is. Listen, I, I've got a few areas that I know the, the Lord has been speaking to me for some time, and I wrote them down. They're my personal things that I'm going to fast. I'm not going to tell you about that right now, but I might at some point. Uh, but, but one of them is just so small, and yet was the moment I started to write it down, my flesh like, no, don't do that. No, 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 no. Listen, you need that. We, we can do a little bit, and I'm like, I, I was shocked myself. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's such a little thing. No, no. And I wrote it down anyway. And even as I wrote it down, my flesh is still trying to talk mad. Well, you don't start till Monday. It's not too late to change your mind on that one. Because, you know, that's going to make it a little harder for you to do. Listen to me. You'll be surprised. But this is is all to, to be able to measure and get the fleshly part of us under control. Because that fleshly part is what's arguing with you and discouraging you. And going by what it feels and experience and not by what the word of God says. We got to quiet that down. And we got to say, Lord, talk to me. 
Help me to remember. Help me to focus in here. So the first thing is fasting is just to sensitize your heart, to allow the Word of God to get back in there, to give you time and focus, and, and to, build, uh, word, uh, to build some time through prayer and fasting. Here's, uh, through the Word of God and prayer. Here's the last thing I'll say about that. Listen to me. Don't be heroic. Okay? If, if you've not been successful before or you haven't fasted a long time, Listen, one or two things, as small as they might seem, it might not be where I'm not going to eat anything for 21 days. Well, okay, I mean, you know, if, if that's where you're at, and great. But maybe it's I'm just going to not do sugar. Maybe it's, not, you know, I'm going to not have lunch every single day. And instead, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to spend it in the Word of God. I'm going to look at some scriptures. I'm going to start thinking, what is that picture, Lord? And, and I'm just going to give Him some time and I'm going to trust that He's going to speak to me. But little things... Listen, little things done consistently over a period of time make big differences. Remember, the kingdom's like a farm. You plant little seeds, and then you keep watering them and watering them and watering them and watering them, and watch what happens. It begins to grow. But instead, lots of Christians try to do these big things, and they, they, they can't survive. They don't survive. And then you get discouraged all over again. So pick something in fasting. I want to say, you know, that's doable. I'm not saying it, it'll be easy, but pick something that, that's doable. Let the Holy Spirit help you and then just commit to it. I, I know some people that for the 21 days, they break it up into three different weeks. So week one, I'm doing this. Week two, I'm doing this. And that's perfectly fine. You don't have to do the same thing for all 21. Listen, this is about you helping you to be more submitted and more plugged into God. But here's what I can promise you. If you'll make any attempt, any attempt at this, God will meet you there. And God will begin to speak to you. Because again, the objective is not just for us to have these instant, quick, fun things. The objective is for us to learn some things about how do we actually grow. Because I'm telling you, once you learn that, you'll grow for the rest of your life and you'll never ever be stuck You'll never be discouraged again. You can find your way out of it that quick and you can begin to strengthen your faith. Hope you've been blessed by something from the word of God today. Uh, I was so privileged to be able to be here. Uh, stand to your feet and let me pray for you as we leave. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God that never, ever changes, that no one can ever challenge, no one can conquer. Lord, this is real and it really, really works every single time. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do what only you can do, and that's speak to every one of our hearts individually. Wherever you can, you can get our attention and find time, if you've got to wake us up in the middle of the night, if you've got to shut some things down, Lord, that we didn't expect so that we're stuck with ourselves, but speak to us. Draw us by your tenderness and your love and your kindness. Give us the courage to take steps towards you, to get these seeds in the ground. Lord, I pray that you remind every one of these people about things that you want to do for them, in them, and through them. And you would bring the hope and a renewed faith, Lord, so they'd have the spiritual strength to be able to move forward in you. We put all of this in your hands, and we promise that you'll get all of the credit. We'll, we'll be excited to tell everybody what you did. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. And check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.